0: Let's pray. Father God, we recognize that our worship this morning is simply being caught up into the praises that the universe and creation have been declaring to you all along. And as we gather around your word this morning, Father, our heart's longing and desire is that we would hear you speak. We have gathered to hear from you and so we ask god that you would grant us the grace that we need to hear from you anew that you would honor our seeking and so speak oh god for your people are listening it's the name of our risen and ascended lord that we pray amen and amen well thank you worship team um man I was feeling it this morning. Um, Well, Grace and Peace Church, again, we're going to be reading out of Ephesians chapter one this morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn there, um, and we'll just kind of jump into it. Um, Paul gives us these words in Ephesians one, verses 15 through 23. Hear the word of the Lord. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Well, one of the difficulties in our expanding family that you got to witness this morning, at least for me, is the challenge of remembering all of the celebratory dates. Uh, Every new phase of mine and Paige's relationship has brought new dates to remember, new dates to celebrate. You start out in every relationship really just needing to know two dates— the date of your first date and Valentine's Day, which I still, for whatever reason, struggle with remembering if it's the 14th or the 16th. God bless Paige for her patience with me. But somewhere along the way, there, there becomes an, another essential date for you to know in your relationship, and that is the other person's birth date. Later, you will add, or we added, the engagement date, which inevitably leads to the wedding anniversary date. And up to this point, if you're counting, that is five dates that you have to remember. Then comes your first child. And you need now to remember that kid's birthday for the rest of your life. But in addition to the first child, you also have to remember Mother's Day which was important in some degree to celebrate your own mother, but when it's your spouse, it becomes a really important date for you to remember. There's a new layer of meaning around Mother's Day, and every kid after that is another birthday to remember. With all of these dates and events to remember, and maybe you can relate to this, I have sort of prioritize three dates when it comes to our relationship. Paige's birthday, our anniversary, and Mother's Day. Valentine's Day, I'm kind of weak in that area. I'll just be honest, and I will confess that to you all. The kids' birthdays, Paige takes care of, and she does a phenomenal job. She's better with these dates than I am. The engagement date, I still have to ask Paige, was it December 18th, 15th, 16th? It's somewhere in there. It's like a kind of mid to late teens, but my head can really only hold these three dates to celebrate. In the Christian calendar, it seems that the church has done much the same, is that we have given priority to certain sacred days, and oftentimes we've done this at the expense of our lack of celebration of other days. As a child, I remember only celebrating two holy or sacred days within the Christian calendar, Christmas and Easter. Somewhere in high school, I remember vaguely that our church began to sort of recognize Good Friday, a third date. And maybe it is my failed memory, but... I don't remember Ash Wednesday ever being celebrated in the church that I attended as a child. I don't remember Palm Sunday really being a thing, let alone Epiphany or Pentecost. And to be honest, I hadn't really known today to be that significant at all until just a few years ago. For those who are unaware, today is the day in the church calendar known as Ascension Sunday. Ascension Day technically happens in the 40th day of Easter. That would have been last Thursday. But the church has sort of moved so many sacred holy days to Sunday. And Ascension Day is one that we also celebrate on a Sunday. And to be totally honest, it seems to me that this is a day that we as a church need to recapture as significant in the life of our community of faith. You see, in many ways, it could be said That Ascension Sunday is the event upon which Christmas and Good Friday and Easter lead to. It's that climatic moment in which Jesus returns to sit at the right hand of the Father as the Lord of the universe. And anything after this date, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the birthday of the church, which we will celebrate next week, the consummation of all things, they all pivot on this single day in which Jesus ascends rightfully to his place of authority, where Jesus taking his place as the rightful king of the universe I want you to listen to how central this is to the theological vision of Paul in the passage that we read together this morning. Christ, the crucified one, was raised from the dead and he now sits, according to verse 20, at the right hand of God. And we are reminded here that all authority on heaven and on earth belong to him. All things All things are under his benevolent authority. All things are under his feet. In a parallel passage in Colossians 1, we know this will lead to all things being reconciled to God. All things will be made well. All things will be made, will be restored. And as such, says Paul, Christ is the head of the church. He is the one who leads He is the one who gives vision. He is the one who sustains and strengthens and empowers the church. It is Christ alone. He is the head of the church. He is the one who reigns and rules over all things. And it's this truth that anchors the faith of believers, the reality that informs our worship and it dictates our mission as a church. We, as a church, gather to worship each week to give praise and honor to the one who sits on the throne of the universe, Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus' lordship informs the mission of the church. It informs the mission of our church. We take our lead from no one other than him and him alone in word and in deed. Our church bears witness to the present reign of Christ in the world. We respond to his call and his call alone. He's the one who directs our mission. He's the one who directs the church. And all that we are as a church hinges on this truth, that the one who is the head of the church is the Christ that reigns over all things. And I will pretend that I heard an audible amen from all of you in your living room. I know we're Nazarenes. We don't do that kind of thing, but that would have been the moment for it, church. But this truth of Christ's reign has always been important, but our observance of Ascension and Ascension Sunday is particularly important for us Christians that find ourselves in a post-Christian secular context. That is, this day and this proclamation and this truth is particularly important for us in Ventura, California in 2020. As I've gleaned from one of my favorite writers, Gordon T. Smith, who is the president of our Nazarene University in Canada, Ambrose University. As we live in a society that no longer reinforces our faith or our Christian vision and values, it is this conviction that Jesus reigns that is all the more defining for us as the church. See, what keeps the church alive, what sustains the faith of the church is not that we are somehow able to control or leverage our culture and make it more Christian. It's not by winning the culture wars, it's not by electing the right officials to the Congress and the Senate and the White House, the ones who might pass legislation and assign judgeships that will make this country Christian again. Don't get me wrong, those are all good things. Leaders and courts that reflect our values, these are good things, but our hope does not rest in our political capital or legislative voice. Our hope rests in the one who sits on the throne of the universe, and that is Jesus Christ himself. We rest in this, that the one we worship, the one who is the head of the church, And the one who directs the mission of the church sits at the right hand of God today. Yes, elections matter. Yes, the courts matter. Yes, our voice that we have in the public square matters. But in a world where our influence and our voice might be shrinking and perhaps even becoming a minority voice in the world, In a world where our financial resources may not have been what they were 20, 30 years ago, it is important for us to be reminded that our hope was never in those things. Our hope remains the same as it was yesterday, today, and forever. That our God reigns and Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. And this is the day in which we celebrate that Ascension Sunday. But how does this truth make a difference in the world today? How does this truth, what does it mean for us that Christ sits at the throne in a practical way? How does it make a difference in the lives of individual believers and in the church corporately today? As we consider the text before us here in Ephesians 1 I want you to notice that Paul, Apostle Paul, in his sort of build-up to the description of Jesus' reign over all things, he uses three words, three words that seem to me to be helpful in our understanding of how the ascension ought to inform and transform our faith as believers and as the church. The first word is this, wisdom. Wisdom. In verse 17, Paul writes, may God give you a spirit of wisdom, the wisdom to see all things through the lens of Jesus's lordship and reign. That is to see things through the lens of the ascension. This wisdom is the wisdom to those whose understanding of life and of work and of relationships is defined through the reality that God reigns over all. There's a well-known praise song whose line reads this way. And forgive me if you love this song. I don't mean to criticize, but I sort of mean to criticize it. But there's a well-known praise song whose words read this way. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The things of earth will go sh- grow strangely dim as you focus on Jesus. This line of the song has always seemed a bit off to me. It would seem to me that we would do better to sing these words, and the things of earth grow strangely clear as we fix our eyes upon Jesus. Or as C.S. Lewis writes in The Weight of Glory, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. That is, it is in our faith in King Jesus that we can see our lives and the world more clearly, not less clearly. Christian faith orients us to understand what it means to live a good life, how we go about doing good work, what it means to have healthy relationships, what virtues are worth cultivating in our lives As we submit our lives to his leadership and reign, we can set aside things that entangle and trap us, things that distract and detract from true living. You see, in submitting to the reign of Christ, we cultivate wisdom, a sense of understanding of how this life ought to be lived. You see, wisdom is not merely the accumulation of experiences over a lifetime. Wisdom is an understanding of life, work, and relationships that comes from the Lord Jesus alone. One of the great joys of getting to pastor this church is the wealth of wisdom that surrounds me here. While wisdom is not only located within senior adults, for sure, my life experiences and the scriptures seem to indicate that wisdom is nurtured over time. Those who have been growing in wisdom for years and perhaps even decades are often the seniors that live in our communities of faith. They are the sources that can dispense great wisdom to the rest of the church. They live with a clarity of meaning and purpose. They see things more clearly. They understand things more deeply. Those wise in the faith are living witnesses of Christ's reign in the world. And we as a church benefit from learning and being guided from those who have gone before, who live wisely for so many years of what it means for us to live under Christ's reign. The second word I think that is helpful for us this morning is hope. In verse 18, Paul prays that the church would know the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints. This is the deep assurance we have that evil does not get the last word, that the God who reigns now will also reign in the age to come. We are inundated daily of the many ways that our world is spoiled by evil. And we as followers of the Lord Jesus do not deny this reality, and, but we ought not to be overwhelmed by it either. Rather, we as a church ought to live with a kind of confidence, not in arrogance, like, well, we're gonna win eventually, or dismissiveness, like this stuff isn't really that big of a deal in the long run, but we ought to live with a confidence in knowing that as Julian of Norwich once wrote, all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. We live in an age of anxiety. Jesus instructs his disciples, do not worry about your life. And as I heard one pastor say, we don't even know how to hear this anymore because we assume that if you're alive, you are worried. (laughs) That if you are alive, you are anxious. Anxious, yet what the ascension calls us to is a confidence that all is well, that will be well in an anxious world. That is, Jesus wins and will set all things right one day. I witnessed this firsthand just a couple of weeks ago in my final conversation with our sister Letha without revealing all the nuances and details of that conversation, I feel compelled to share with you all that our friend and sister faced the end of her life with an abiding confidence in the hope that she has in Jesus. She was anxious for nothing, but in prayer and thanksgiving, experienced the peace of God that Paul writes in Philippians transcends all understanding. Thanks be to God. And the call for the church is to cultivate this sense of confidence in the hope that we have in Jesus. And my prayer and our hope that this would be as true for us as it was for her. The third word, power. When we live in relationship with the risen and ascended Lord Jesus, we are people of wisdom and hope but we are drawn into the transforming power of God. The God who has created all things, the God who sustains all things, the God who will redeem all things. This power, though, ought not to be confused of political or economic or military power or might. It is the power of the crucified one who is the Christ and who is our Lord. It is the power that brings healing to our lives and by the grace of God to our communities and to the world. It is the power to forgive and to be forgiven. It is the power that brings reconciliation to families and communities and to nations. It is the power to heal addiction. It is the power that can heal bodies, hearts, and minds. This is the power of God. This is... (laughs) admittedly complicated sometimes for us. Many of us grew up in churches thinking that if only we believed enough, if only we had more faith, then the sort of fullness of God's healing power would be ours in an instant. And that the lingering ailments and struggles and brokenness that we were experiencing could all be chalked up to a lack of faith. But this, my friends and my church, is not the case as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, we have this treasure that is the glory and power of God in jars of clay to show that all this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. That is, we live both experiencing the power of God at work in our lives in the midst of the brokenness of our world. But the brokenness of the world does not diminish the power of God that we experience. Wisdom, hope, and power, these are the gifts that come to those who by the grace of God place their faith in the Lord Jesus And we would do well as a church to remember that these are gifts that come to us from the Holy Spirit, which we will celebrate next Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, so come back next week. So many holy holy days to remember. You see, the Spirit instructs and guides us to understand our lives under the reign of Christ. The Spirit is the comforter in those times of distress and anxiety, the Spirit grants us the grace of God that brings about the transforming work of Christ in our midst. Ascension Sunday, our lives ought to be grounded on the truth it proclaims Jesus is the one who reigns over all things. And we can keep this truth central to our lives in two practical ways. First, we keep this truth central in our prayers. We ought to keep the risen and ascended Christ in our minds and our imaginations daily. It would seem that, at least for Paul, this was a central practice in his own life and in his vision of the spiritual life, living constantly in the presence of the Lord Jesus, who sits at the right hand of God. Surrendering ourselves to his reign in our lives. Surrendering our relationships. Surrendering our work. Surrendering ourselves again and again and again and again. And in so doing, your life will be set in mission by the head of the church. In so doing, both in word and deed, you will bear witness to the reign of Christ in the world. But second... As we gather in worship, we ought to be reminded of the one who calls us to himself. Our worship gathering is not hindered by any authority other than Christ. Our worship gathering is not called by any authority other than Christ. Our worship gatherings are a response to the gracious invitation of the Lord Jesus. For it is Christ who speaks to us through his word. It is Christ who hosts us at the table and feeds us at the meal of communion. It is Christ who passes us peace. And in some way, we could say that every week, every day ought to be Ascension Sunday as we fix our eyes on the risen and ascended Lord in our prayers and in our worship as a community of faith. May it be so with us. May we as a church Submit ourselves to his lordship. May it be so. Let's pray. Jesus, you are Lord. You are the king of kings. Your dominion, you have dominion over all things. We profess this truth today. And in so many ways, there are those in our church who are needing to be reminded of this. There are those whose confidence, whose hope needs to be increased this day. And so we ask God that as we remind ourselves, as we sing, as we think, as we read your word, that the Lord Jesus would come close to his church this day sustaining us, strengthening us, guiding us in our lives and in mission. Reminded that he is the one who calls us into worship, and so we sing. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.